opinions expressed on ACB Media are those of the content creators and should not be assumed to reflect product endorsements or the views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Welcome to Lessons in Advocacy from the LGBTQ plus community. To everyone out there in ACB Media land, uh, you can find the link to join us if you would like to join the conversation tonight. It's going to be very interactive on conversation, on leadership, on FCB, on discuss, on a whole bunch of different places. Find the link and please feel more than welcome to join us. As I was saying, this is our second presentation, the first of which was a month ago with Eric Marcus from Making Gay History, who has collaborated with us on this series. Um, the idea came to us by one of our allies and an ally to the LGBTQ plus community is someone who is straight, but advocates and, and believes in our community and believes that we are equally deserving of all the rights of everybody else in this country. So when Debbie came to us with this idea for this series, we jumped on it immediately. Um, if you did not have a chance to listen to the first program or the Pride Connection, please don't feel like you can't join the conversation. We're going to be referencing some of the great um, stuff that we heard in the last program, but we're really going to be talking tonight about good trouble, good troublemaking, and how some of the highlights of what the LGBTQ community has achieved can be translated to our blind and low vision community. Um, having said that, I am so very, very thrilled to say that this program really couldn't have come on a better Monday because our community, um, along with other communities out there, are, are very gleefully and very happily celebrating the fact that the Respect for Marriage Act has been passed in both houses, uh, you know, both chambers of the Congress and the Senate and is on its way to President Biden's desk. And I would love to be a fly on the wall or a reporter if I still have my sight. Um, actually, I'd love to be a reporter blind, to be quite honest, at the signing of that bill. I'd love to know who's there in the audience and, and what remarks are made, because this is definitely a moment that, um, forgive me for getting a little choked up, but it's a moment that so many of us really thought might never come, even with, you know, the legalization of gay marriage in most states. The fact that we have a federal protection now is something that we were afraid might never come. So tonight's conversation really couldn't have come at a better time. Um, that's not going to be the only topic of conversation, though, but we absolutely have to mention this as we get started. I'm going to turn it over for a few minutes to our current president of Blind Pride International, Mr. Gabriel Lopez Cafati. Hello, everyone. Welcome. And uh, this is, like Anthony said, part two of this exciting conversation. Um, I am I'm in so many levels very, very happy and very proud. Um, this is a very symbolic program for me um, in, in many regards. Uh, again, thanks to our ally, Debbie Grubb, to for bringing this idea to us and uh, collaborating and making it happen. Thank you so much to Eric Marcus, who's a great friend and collaborator of uh, BPI for many uh, events now. And uh, if, if you haven't been able to follow Making Gay History, it's, it's such a well done uh, podcast, documentary, 
uh, compilation. And, uh, you know, it's, it, it's like Anthony said, it's the real troublemakers um, who caused good trouble to affect change and gain some, some traction in the civil rights movement for the LGBTQ plus community. Um, the, uh, before I, I, I have to tell you that I'm just here to introduce the program. I have another ACB commitment that I have to run to that is also at eight Eastern. So, um, wow. Uh, please, please, please participate. Please, uh, be open-minded and look at the similarities. Um, in one of our meetings with uh, the group here, Leah Gardner, uh, Anthony Corona, Debbie Grob, Eric Marcus, we were talking about so many similarities in the advocacy of the LGBTQ community. I'm sure Leah is going to talk about the conclusion that we both reached when listening to the experience of the lesbian couple who was not allowed to sit in a specific section of a restaurant in California and the owner decided to actually remove that section rather than ever allow a same-sex couple sit because that area was only reserved for uh, couples. So we both <laughs> immediately thought, wow, it sounds like when we get a guide dog denial in a restaurant or in a share ride, um, but anyway, um, I want to say that this is very symbolic to me. And before I leave you in excellent and the best hands, I want to say um, that uh, I feel that it's a way in which I am publicly passing on the baton. Um, Leah Gardner has been recently elected uh, for uh, the presidency of BPI. I decided that after two consecutive terms, uh, it was time for me to um, step down. And I have many other commitments that I have to attend to. I'm very happy that my very own partner, Anthony Corona, has stepped up to be vice president. And I'm sure that Anthony and Leah um, will, will be a very, very dynamic uh, president and vice president of BPI. And what a better way to start. Uh, they take office in January 1st, or like Leah says, January 2nd. <laughs> but uh, what a better way for them to start their presidency and vice presidency than with an event like this one. Pure advocacy and uh, transferring the lessons learned from the LGBTQ advocacy into the advocacy of the blind and visually impaired community that ACB and all of us do together so please learn please participate and uh, i can't wait to hear the recording of this program i'm gonna have to step out but like i said i leave you in the best hands possible the new leaders of bpi and our very dear ally debbie grubb thank you for thank you our streamers our host um acb media and all of you here so just Go and cause some good trouble. <laughs> and if I don't get to talk to you um, out here on ACB Media or on this call, happy holidays. All the best. Best wishes. Many blessings. And 
Definitely all my love. So, Leah, Anthony, Debbie, all yours. Well, all right, thank- we're going to hear from Leah now. <laughs> thank you so much, Gabe, um, for your stewardship over the past four years and uh, for being so instrumental in, in your leadership role in, in bringing um, BPI back to a really robust um, leader in in ACB as a whole. Um, I was very proud to be part of that, this sort of like re revival <laughs> in many ways yes. of, of BPI. For those that don't know, I, I um, was involved in the meetings in 1999 at the Los Angeles ACB convention where um, the discussion about um, trying to uh, certify BPI and at that the time it had had no name. Um, it was just kind of a loose congregation of um, GLBTQ plus individuals that came to convention every year. Um, there was a decision made to, to try to make what has become BPI an affiliate. And uh, it was really exciting to be on the forefront of that. And over, I guess, we uh, got our um, certification in uh, 2000. And it has been quite a uh, <laughs> quite an eventful 22 years. I'm definitely much older. I've seen the world change a great deal from what it was. Uh, but I think this is probably the strongest that BPI has ever been. And um, I'm, I'm, pretty, uh, I'm pretty humbled to, to now be um, leading the organization as president and to have a great, um, wonderful vice president right, right uh, next to me. I think we have a lot of great things to come. But, you know, I think one of the things that we are most grateful for in BPI over the past 20 some odd years is our invaluable allies. And we have had so many people um, encourage us through the years, uh, support us in so many different ways. And, you know, one, one of those people is on the call tonight and she really spurred this particular series of discussions uh, in terms of um, advocacy in the GLBTQ plus community. And I just want to introduce to everybody, uh, Debbie Grubb. Thank you, Leah, so much. Um, I'm going to paint a little tapestry or map where we can put our conversational pins. If you all haven't had the chance to hear Eric Marcus's wonderful presentation a month ago, please do. But for the sake of allowing us conversation, I'll give you a brief, brief introduction to each person and tell you what they did and why they did because it is so beautiful. And what is one of the most wonderful things about this whole event is in the LGBTQ plus community is recognition of diversity and recognition of the different places from which these people came and how what they did has been woven together to make this community strong and to allow 
a strong group such as Blind Pride International. When Eric began his presentation, he introduced himself and said that he had been, he had worked for CBS News and he was a segment coordinator and he wanted very much to be on camera. And at the same time, he was invited to write a book about gay history. And when he was told, ain't no way you're gonna ever be on camera as an openly gay man, he wrote his book. And in the writing book, he took a beautiful personal journey and in his recordings and writings captured the lives and the voices and the passions of many people who have gone. I have lived long enough that I lost one of my friends in the whole world to AIDS. And I remember when he came home to the small town in which we grew up and the mixed reaction with which he was received. And I've never been afraid to speak my mind. And so I yelled at a few people and um, we, we, well, excuse me, it just was very difficult. So I know, I know the value of these beautiful recordings. The first, um, the first person that um, Eric introduced us to was a lady who called herself Lisa Ben. Her real name was Edith Ibe, and she scrambled the words of lesbian, and she began this work in 1947. Now, if you can stop and think how long ago in terms of advocacy and inclusion 1947 was. And Lisa worked in an office in the entertainment field as a secretary. And her boss said, I want you to look busy. That doesn't mean doing woman stuff, such as knitting or doing your grocery list or whatever. So our Lisa Ben started a newsletter that she called a magazine. And she wrote it in her office. And in this magazine, she had a column called Whatchamacollum. And in her newsletter, she talked about her dream for our community. And one of them was that there would be a time when the LGBTQ plus community would be accepted into society. And Lisa gave that newsletter free of charge to everybody she could think of. And her friends in the, in the world of, of LGBTQ plus gave it to their friends. She wrote parodies to popular tunes. She went to gay clubs and she revolutionized that because if you can believe it, there was a time when the owners of these clubs allowed straight men to come in and watch the dancers and say very horrible things. And it was accepted. And she stopped that. And she sold her own act. And she was quite the woman. He interviewed her in 1989. And I urge you to listen to her voice. The next person he interviewed was a man named Frank McKinney. And Frank McKinney was another a fascinating man. He, he was um, a Harvard graduate, a PhD in astronomy. And he was from his job with the federal government just because he was a gay man. And in 1953, President Dwight D. Eisenhower signed a document into law stating that there would be no people in same-sex relationships working in any form of the federal government. Frank lost his job and he was blacklisted so that 
while other people who are gay and lesbian, et cetera, quietly went away and found other jobs because case wasn't publicized as much, he couldn't find employment anywhere. And he once said, I would never declare war on the federal government and they're not going to declare war on me. And so in 1961, he started a chapter um, for gay and lesbian people. And he, um, and he also, um, he also began to become a radical. He said that he was really a man who simply wanted to live his life. And yet all people of LGBTQ plus persuasions heard was that they were sick, that they were sinners and that they were mentally ill. And so, and so one of the great things he did, I got chills when I heard this, you know, we in the, in the disability community remember Justin Dart and is saying nothing about us without us. Well, long before old Justin, Frank said, we don't need to hear from the experts. We are the experts. And this movement is gonna reflect our views and our power. And he also, he also, um, he, he was just a wonderful man and he in, took him 14 years, but through his advocacy and his speaking out, he got that, that rule changed that, that people who were gay and lesbian, et cetera, would once again, as they should be, um, work once again in the federal government. He, along with some other advocates, rec, um, put together the first protests that were really organized in 1965. And he was very active when the Stonewall Inn bar incident happened. And we, time does not allow us to go into all of that. But what I'm going to tell you is that if you want to hear about it, there is, if any of you are familiar with the Unity app from the audio description project that does national parks, there is a national park in, in New York, the Stonewall Inn, and there is a beautiful described brochure about that inn. And our friend and helper, um, Eric Marcus, is actually quoted in that in that thing. So I would urge you all to really look at that. Um, so um, here we go. So now the next person that I want to talk to you about is a young man named Morty Manford. And he was at a rally where Mayo Lindsay was speaking. And of course, the people on the outside were not allowed in because they were considered to be troublemakers. And the people who, who were in the community of which we are speaking tonight were brutalized and beaten up, as was their lot in, through the police departments all over this country. And this young man, Morty, found his way into the building. He said he's, in his interview, he said, I still don't know how I did it. But Eric says he was 21 and he didn't know that he wasn't supposed to do stuff and that he couldn't do stuff. He went up on the stage and he told the people about how people um, of, of the LGBTQ plus persuasion were being treated and manhandled and beaten by the police. He was summarily thrown out. 
And Mayor Lindsay thought, oh, I've got it covered. So he said, well, if he were still here, I'd let him speak. And you know what? That young man found his way back in there again, went up on the stage, said to the mayor, I understand that you are going to allow me to speak. And the mayor had no choice because the people, when the young man was out, started calling him, what is going on with these people? Why are they being treated in such a way? And so this young man began to really bring publicity to this issue. And, and he and his mother, and we'll talk more about this in a few minutes, um, he, they, they, uh, they set up PFLAG, which is Parents of Friends of Lesbians and Gays. And remember that was back in the day when it was flag Friends of Lesbians and Gays. And our dear friend died at the age of 42 in 1992 of AIDS, but his voice and his work live on. Two of my favorites that Eric talked about were Barbara Giddings and Kay LeHusing. And these two people were truly an amazing couple. They, they organized demonstration. They were at, they were, in crucially important in getting the notice of mentally ill, getting all of our wonderful friends in this community removed from that list. Can you imagine that far into the 20th century and our friends were still considered mentally ill? And one of the great things they did was, Barbara was really interested in books and she wanted to, um, to have a listing of all the books that had been written from the beginning through 1971, when this all happened about people who are in same-sex relationships. And so she read this book called The Well of Loneliness, which was written in the 1920s. And she said that that helped her recognize herself. So she and her friend went to the library, the library association um, association convention, they rented a booth and they plastered everywhere, put everywhere in elevators, on tables, handed them out this bibliography of these books. It wasn't going anywhere. So they reinvented a fair thing from county fairs called the kissing booth. And what they did was they had men at two men at one end and two ladies at the other, and they put up a sign, come and get hugs and kisses from homosexual people. Well, the people were thrilled and excited about this. Now they weren't going in there, but they, they just mobbed the booth. Well, Life Magazine was there and the new stations from Dallas, which even in those days was a pretty big city there. And the coverage was astounding. And the Library Association was furious because they said, we've got authors from all over the world who are well-known and we get this kissing booth um, portrayed in the news. But it was a wonderful thing and the assistant citizens advocacy got this done. And that is such an amazing thing. Where after Barbara's death, Kay um, was in a retirement community and she began a gay table. And people from all over the community came when they chose to and had fellowship and ate at the gay table. The next two ladies we're going to talk about are Deborah Johnson and Sandra Romano. 
And this interview, what happened with them happened in 1983. We're not going to spend a lot of time on this because this is the piece that Gabriel just finished talking to us about. But what happened was they wanted to go to this restaurant where there was these booths where people who were deeply in love could go and have a quiet private dinner and just be. And apparently they were taken into the restaurant and they were actually seated at the booth. But then, as so happens with us and guide dogs, the maître d' came over and said, sorry, you can't sit here. So they said, now, just like you can sit anywhere in this restaurant, we'll even give you free drinks, but you can't sit in the romantic booths. So these two women who never thought once about suing were incensed because the next day was the actual holiday celebrating the birth of Dr. Martin Luther King. And they were remembering all that they had been taught. And so they hired a name that should be familiar to all people who are who are under attack, Gloria Allred. And she Amen. wasn't then, but she won they she won their and this is so important because these citizens activists who had no desire to sue or anything else, they they knew that they had the right thing. And this was the first time that the civil rights laws giving all people equal access to public accommodations was tested in terms of same-sex couples. Now, the ending is a little bit sad too because the owner of this Papa Shoe restaurant took all the kiss, all the romantic booze out the curb and he said, today romantic dining dies. Well, you know what? It died in his place but it hasn't died and it continues to live because of the work of these, of these people. And that is the most ama- amazing thing. So then, um, so they, they did that. And it was really very interesting because it shows again in the deep South when um, pools were supposed to be integrated, sometimes they close the pools instead of integrate them. The next person that we're going to talk briefly about is Perry Watkins, who was also um, an, was also um, a citizen activist. And he was in Germany in 1968 when he was 18 years old, studying to be a dancer. And he was drafted and he got called home and he filled out the form and he checked the box that he was gay. And later when he was asked why he did it, you know what he said? I loved it. All these other things were so important to him, but he said, my mother would give me hell had I lied. And think about the race. So anyway, he was accepted into the military. He didn't think he would be because not only was he gay, he's black. And he had a 15 year career, had a stellar career in the army. And one day without reason, he was just, thrown out. And not only was he thrown out, he was given a dishonorable discharge, which meant that he got no benefits. He had been in the army for all this time. He found it hard to find a job. He lost his home. He lost everything. And when Eric went to interview him at his house, Perry was wrapped up in coats because it was winter time and he was cold and he couldn't afford heat. And 
Eric says in our interview that he his batteries were running low and he had to plug in his recorder. And he said, I felt very bad about using his electricity. But the point is that he took his case to um, the Supreme Court. He was eight years in, in into that when Eric um, interviewed him. And finally, he was reinstated into the military. Um, but he decided to leave the military and take a settlement. And in 1993, he was the Grand Marshal at the Gay Rights Parade. And that is just a wonderful thing. And he, he just was just the best. The next person we're gonna talk about really touches my heart also. Her name is Paulette Goodman. She is an ally like some of us. And she had her very reasons for understanding and want to, to support. First of all, she had a daughter who is lesbian. Second of all, she was directly impacted by the Holocaust. Her family, her sister and her sister's husband were taken away by the Gestapo. They had a little boy who for a day escaped being taken. And then the, the Gestapo came and said, if you don't take, give us him, your whole family's gonna be taken. And besides his mother wants him. And bless the little child's heart, he was reunited with his mother, but eventually they were sent to Auschwitz and were never heard of again. And Paulette, Paulette says that she knew that she had to do this because she knew what it was to be hated, to have prejudice, to be in danger. And she shared so many of the life experiences of people that it was an easy step for her to become an ally. And so that was extremely moving. The last person I'm going to share with you tonight is um, a gentleman by the name of Vito Russo. And Vito is a most interesting person. He was a film historian. And he decided to look into how people of our community that we are highlighting were being treated in film because he truly believed that a lot of the public attitude toward our friends was being guided and mandated by what people saw on the screen. And so he began his work. He wrote a beautiful book called The Celluloid Closet, which our friend Eric found a copy of in his young college days. And Vito was, um, was just a wonderful person. And he did so much to, for organization, but his great desire and great love was preparing the way for the next generation, the next people. He wanted to leave a legacy and he wanted to pass the torch. And I thought about after so many years of doing the legislative work, chairing that committee for the Florida Council of Blind, and I felt led, I felt compelled to pass that torch to Anthony. And it is my honor and privilege to work with him. And that was, that was Vito's. And in his interview, he said, I know when I die. And Eric said he was quite sick then and his partner Jeffrey had died a few years before. He said, I know when I die, my book and my articles and what I have said will reach out to somebody else, some young kid who will take it and run with it. 
And that is one of the most valuable lessons we can learn. And so it is with a full and humble heart that I turn the proceedings back over to the moderator for this <laughs> evening, Anthony. Thank you, Debbie. Um, thank you, Leah. So I, I wanna take a personal moment of privilege here. I've often said on Pride Connections, on calls that we've given, I'm, I'm a very lucky person. I grew up in New York City, Staten Island, New York, and I actually met in person three of the people that Eric spoke about. I actually met Eric too when I was a youngin. Um, I'm not sure if he remembers. Gabriel and I are slated to go to dinner with he and his partner in May when we're in New York. And I'm going to bring it up and, and see if I can jog his memory. But um, I met Manfred's mother and his aunt, who at that point were still nationally um, running P flag. Um, I met Kay. Um, unfortunately, Barbara was already gone. Um, what a dynamic, dynamic force of energy. And I got to meet Vito. He was very, very sick. And The Celluloid Closet was a book that really touched me early on coming out. And I remember there was a, a very, very famous gay bookstore on Christopher Street in, in the West Village. And he was giving a talk. And that year at the Pride Parade, um, this was, uh, you know, so the Pride Parade, the Pride celebration in New York goes, you know, for the entire weekend. There's tea dances, there's all kinds of events. And the Pride Parade had been the day before. And there was a lot of young folks, folks my age at the time, who were not, um, not polite. They were not respectful of the generations that had fought for the rights and had, had, had been beaten, had been abused, had lost their jobs, had been, their names were printed in the newspapers. Their photographs were printed in the newspaper. So, you know, not only did you lose your job, but you lost your community standing. You couldn't get other jobs because they printed these, this about you in the papers. And so there was a huge blown up photo, you know, poster sized photograph of this incredibly I mean, one of the most beautiful people I have ever looked at. It's like Michelangelo's David. And I'm looking and I had no clue that that was Vito. Um, he was very, very sick at the time. But he stood there and gathered all the energy that he could. And he railed at us, at us young folks. How dare we not understand? How dare we not recognize? How dare we not respect what folks had gone through so that we could dance in the streets, that we could have a tea party on the dance on the, on the pier so that we could celebrate because at that point it wasn't so much advocacy. It was more celebrating than it was. It was still advocacy. Don't get me wrong, but it was more celebration of who we were rather than advocating, advocating for the right to be who we are. So I, I just wanted to take a moment to, to live in respect to that Vito, wherever you are, you touched me, Kay, you touched me. And um, Jeanette was, was um, Manfred's mother's name. I, I, for the life of me, I can't remember his aunt's name, but she was very much allies. We absolutely love our allies. And in the blind and low vision community, we need to love our allies too. We need to enfold our allies more into our advocacy because who knows better besides us, what we go through on a day-to-day -day basis than the people that love us the people that support us. Um, I want to take a moment and ask Leah 
if she'll just give us a brief um, rundown of what the letters of our beautiful rainbow mean. Sure. So let me just go back for a moment when we started this organization. And originally, some people may remember that our affiliate charter, uh, originally our name was B-Flag, Blind Friends of Lesbians and Gays. It was a nod to um, P-Flag and all the people that had been so supportive uh, of our organization coming into being a lot of times there were P flag volunteers that um, helped with the various um, organizing and um, uh, congregating and events that the organization that we become <clears throat> would hold. Um, and we, at that time, most of the community was using the term um, GLB for gay, lesbian, and bisexual. Yeah. Um, at that point, which is in, you know, late 90s, early 2000s, we were really <laughs> unaware. And I think, unfortunately, the language really hadn't been developed yet to um, color in all the different shades of the rainbow. And we have learned over the past 20 some odd years that we need to be much more inclusive. Um, we needed to absolutely embrace the transgender community. Um, we needed to embrace the intersexual community, um, the asexual community often referred to as ace. And um, there, Q has meant a number of different things. Um, at one point, it was uh, meant questioning. It has um, acquired typically the definition queer at this point. Um, we have a lot of folks that are gender non-binary, and they don't um, they they don't want to be categorized into one gender or another. Um, there's uh, gender fluid, so there are many many different shades of the rainbow. I suspect that um, those shades are just going to continue to grow and there'll be so many different colors. So often what we say at this point is GLBTQ plus um, in order to try to in be as inclusive, excuse me, as inclusive as possible to all the different um, members of our huge community. And I, I'm just so glad that uh, we have um, really adapted, we've grown, and we have come to be uh, I, uh, em embracing and um, we've accepted everybody, you know, into um, the rainbow. And um, one thing I do want to say about that is I think to a lot of people not in our community, all the different letters can be somewhat confusing. I think they can be overwhelming. So I always say, if you, if you meet somebody, listen to them, ask them what pronoun they go by um, and let them tell you. I, I think that's incredibly important and whatever they tell you, respect it. 
Um, I, I can't tell you how, how really <laughs> amazing and wonderful it is when I, when somebody asks me that question, I'm someone that um, defines myself as she and her, but I was checking into a hotel a couple of years ago and the um, desk attendant asked me what pronoun do you go by? What pronouns do you go by? And I just, I, I, I see that more and more every day. Yep. And um, I just think we are, we are moving in such a, um, we're moving in such a, a forward um, direction. And I love the momentum. You know, Leah, crazily enough, the first time I was asked specifically about my pronouns, was during my guide dog application process. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I want to remark on something. Often we hear from certain sides of the political spectrum. Oh, you know, they just keep adding letters to the rainbow. All, you know, all these people are coming out of the woodwork. You know, they're creating new identities just to have something to talk about. And I definitely want to dispel that. And Leah, I'd love to hear your thoughts on it as well. We're not coming out of nowhere. We've always been here. You know, if you look at the writings of Socrates, we're there. If you look at the way that they staged Shakespeare productions, we're there. If you look at ancient Egyptian hieroglyphics, we're there. We've always been here. It, it was the Western societies. I'm not going to blame it on America itself. It was the Western societies that tried and successfully for way too long pushed us into the shadows and made loving, if it wasn't between a man and a woman, an abhorrent thing. But we've always been here. There's always been asexual people. There's always been non-binary and there's always been fluid people. And there's always been straight up gay, whether it be lesbian or, or gay, which is the umbrella term, but it's also the term for a man and a man. Leah, any, any thoughts on that before we start to go into the actual conversation for tonight? Sure. I, I think one thing to recognize is a lot of people say, why identify as all these different things? Why isn't it good enough just to be gay or lesbian or bisexual? You know, why do you have to incorporate all these other letters in the um, add to the colors and the rainbow flag? And it's because we have to embrace everybody. We have to, you know, we have to, uh, be as inclusive as we possibly can. And I think just as we respect all different forms of uh, vision, differences, we need to respect each other's differences and we need to value who they are and what they, what they bring to the table. I've also heard um, some people say, you know, you're, you're just undermining the movement mm -hmm. that we work uh -huh. so hard, that we work so hard to um, reach. And my, my answer to that is that all these wonderful people built a bridge so that more and more people could walk over it and, you know, and, and also be embraced in the, uh, you know, in, in the rainbow. Thank you so much. So before we actually open the conversation, I just want to ask if there are any BPI members 
present tonight who'd like to say hello, introduce themselves so that we can include you in the conversation before we open it up to everybody else. Go ahead and unmute, say hello, let us know you're here. I know I heard one or two of you come in. Hey there, this is Bryn. How are you doing? Hey, Bryn. Hey, Bryn. Hi. Um, I was uh, looking at my phone, so I missed the question, but I heard you were um, calling for participation. So could you repeat that question again for me, please? Just say hello. Tell us a little bit about who you are. And and you have the floor if you want to tell us a little bit more than a little bit of who you are, because you're you're pretty special right now, Bryn. You're always special, but we'll talk. <laughs> um, well, um, I recently have been going through a lot in terms of uh, gender exploration. Uh, when COVID happened, that was what woke me up and real made me realize I need to deal with my sexuality before it's too late. And so I came out as pansexual. I joined BPI. Um, I let all of my friends and family know, uh, and I mounted those obstacles and, and got through them and came out the other side relatively unscathed. But there was still another piece of me that I hadn't dealt with. And I kind of wish I had just done both at the same time because I wouldn't have to be doing this all over again. But I'm slogging through the coming out again because I am trans. And uh, I, some of you might have known me as Byron. Um, my new name is Bryn. I use she and her pronouns. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm dealing with all of the... Um, all of the stuff that is involved in coming out all over again, you know, you know, some people who are not able to wrap their head around pronouns in general, um, not just the trans thing, but, but respecting all people of um, gender expansiveness. Um, I've, I've had friends who I thought were pretty progressive and who I thought were on my side say things like, well, I just can't get my head wrapped around the whole they and them thing. It doesn't make any sense to me. What an obtuse pronoun to have to use with someone. And how am I supposed to know what someone's gender is from across the room? And I'm never going to meet them anyway. So why should I have to bother? And, I, and it's just like, wow. Um, you know, in my mind, if I don't know someone and I'm never going to meet them again, I typically go with they or them, regardless of gender, male, female, or somewhere in between, because I do not know. So I always just use they and them until I know. That's the way to do it. Um, I've also faced some transphobia from people who I thought were friends. And it's sad because you know, these are people who I didn't want to lose in my life, but I've, I've had to say, look, I'm drawing the line here. If you can't support me and respect me and use my name and use my new pronouns, um, then, you know, I'm afraid that we can't be friends because what you stand for is directly uh, hurting me. I'm supposed to be your friend and it's hurting me. I can't. I can't condone the way that you, uh, the way that you are towards people in the LGBTQ spectrum. 
And so um, I've lost a few friends. But I would say that uh, amongst all of the bad things that have happened to me in coming out, so many good things have have come to me. I met all of the fine folks here at Blind LGBT Pride International, and they have become my chosen family. I think of all BPI members as brothers and sisters and siblings, um, and I love all of them so much. We've we've done so much. We've come so far in the last two years since I've joined, and it's it's just amazing. I've also found a lot of trans women and uh, other non-binary folks and trans men um, on Discord servers that I have been frequenting, and uh, even found friends local here in Minneapolis who are also trans through things like the Aliveness Project. Uh, they have an uh, they have a support group called Tea Time here in Minneapolis, and um, I have recently joined that support group and just met so many. It's specifically for trans feminine people, and I've met so many awesome girls there, um, and it's just my life, while it might be hard sometimes, my life is better than it has ever been. I'm happier than I have ever been. And, you know, I am so thankful that I decided to go ahead and go through this process of saying, I am Bryn, I'm queer, I'm here. God bless. Bryn, you know, I want to ask you, knowing what Eric presented to us, and I know you've explored making gay history in, in pieces along the way, those that walk before that, because there's always been trans, it just wasn't okay to be in, you know, full society as trans. They had to hide. They had to pretend. They had to, you know, stay in the shadows. Knowing all that the advocates that came before you is there anything if you could say to them if they're you know listening from wherever they may be hopefully it's heaven um is there anything you'd want to say to them i i want to say thank you to the two trans women that um started the stonewall movement i want to yep. say thank you to the trans men and women that stood up for themselves and said i won't hide i want to I want to say thank you to all of the people who have who have explored uh, their gender presentation through things like <clears throat> things like drag, um, things like um, you know art and music, uh, you know just anything that put gender expression experimentation out there into the world. I want to say thank you to you. I want to say thank you to all of the um, Gen Xers and Millennials that. Um, started to fight for us. And, um, you know, some of the boomers too that started to fight for us. Um, I want to say thank you to Generation Z for trying so hard and working so hard to make this, um, to make this acceptable in society, fighting for us, standing up for us. All the people throughout history, all the way back to the, all the way back to the dark ages that have said no, I'm not putting up with it. I'm not hiding. I'm not going to pretend to be someone else. I just want to say thank you because without every single one of those things happening, I would not be able to be where I'm at now where where I um I recently uh I I'm in the process of of changing jobs and 
the career that I'm moving to, I told them that I was trans and they were 100% accepting, 100% on my side. Love it. And they had no problem with it and they're ready to have me back. And um, it's, it's amazing that that happened because I know that historically people have had to hide themselves at work for fear of losing their, their financial situation. So thank you to everyone. Thank you, Bryn. Being vulnerable, being brave enough, feeling safe enough, all of those things. Thank you so much for sharing that with us tonight. Um, real quick, anybody else from BPI want to open up and say hello? If not, I'm going to start with the first question. All right. So Debbie, Leah, I want you guys to, to start off with your thoughts on this. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ride the big polka dotted rainbow pink elephant right into the middle of the room. One of the things that we wanted Eric to tell the tapestry the way he told it was because part of what the LGBTQ plus community had to, had to overcome was the fact that there was the L, G, B. And it wasn't until way, way into the movement that they adopted T. Um, it wasn't way, way past that that they adopted Q. There was a lot of struggle in the early days to bring the subsectors of the LGBTQ community together in concert. And at some point, um, Medellin, the Medellin Society, which um, Frank, uh, who was the second person that Eric, he was very instrumental in the Medellin Society, which you know morphed into the Stonewall Foundation and, and various other LGBTQ activism groups. But um, one of their tenets was, unless we all, it, unless we all walk together, unless we all navigate together, we're never going to be able to make any kind of strides. So, what do you see as the similarities between those struggles that the LGBTQ community had to overcome to become one advocating force together, and our blind and low vision communities? Um, Debbie, let's start with you since, you know, this was, this was your baby <laughs> and thank, thank you. you so much for bringing it to us. I'm very proud of my baby, which is now our baby and that it's being cared for so lovingly and so well. I think the thing is that we have to remember in any community, no matter what its calling card is of inclusion, there is always diversity. And I think we have to begin to see that there are people that you sometimes have to take the bit in your teeth because regardless of everything that Anthony just said, and it is absolutely true, there were people who said, we can't stand for this. And they stood up and were counted. And the more they did that, the more people stood up and were counted with them. Each person that Eric brought to us and that I did the very little mini summaries about brought people with them into the advocacy arena. And I think that one of the things that we could learn from this community is this, all things are important, all inclusion, all recognition, all dignity, all of that is so important. But one of the things we learned from this community, or I learned is that they had to say, we've got to organize what we fight for first. 
And so they began to change laws that discriminated. They began to fight for access to the workplace, for access to public acceptance, for the, uh, the right to sit in a restaurant and eat. And what I'm saying is not you can't do everything at once. And that's what we have to see. And the other thing that I think we have to see is that the leaders, the people who gave it up for what is right and sacrificed so much, they said, we, us, not they, them. And when I say they, them, I mean in the subjective case. It was all of us in it together for the common good. And I think we need to realize that, that we are stronger together than apart and that the colors of the rainbow are beautiful. And I like to think actually of all of us in the rainbow. I like to think of my own little place in the rainbow because I've always loved rainbows. And I think that we have to realize that and we have to look for what the common good is. And as we do more and more, more things come forward and we can fight for them. Well, you gave us this and it, the world didn't come to an end. And so I think what these people did, they stood up and were counted. And I think instead of many of us sitting back, anger is an important thing, but not if it's not used as fuel to fuel yes. The fuel action. And we, we can stay in anger and be bitter and mad and strike out at each other and everybody else. Or we can say, this isn't, this won't do. Just like Frank said, this government is not going to declare war on me. So he was angry and had every right to be angry, but he did something with it. And so what I would say, if I had to say, as in closing of this little diatribe, <laughs> if I had one thing to say, I would say, learn to make your anger and despair work for us and think of us, the group, and try to figure out what each of us can do in our own unique ways to move the cause of inclusion and justice and recognition and all the things that we have a right to that we can gain that. So let's make our justifiable anger not a tool to imprison us and embitter us and diminish us, but the fuel to empower us and enhance us. Great point. Thank you, Debbie. Leah? I really concur with what Debbie said in so many ways, but I think there's a couple things I would add. I think <clears throat> one of our biggest drawback still in the visual impairment community is the fragmentation. Um, I think, unfortunately, um, we spend a lot of time warring between each other with two different consumer groups. There's no reason in the world that we can't have different consumer groups for the blind. What I fail to understand is why those consumer groups need to constantly be at such odds with one another when we have such just gigantic issues that we need to tackle. And I'm telling you, when, when a big group like the blindness community or any disability community is fragmented like that, it makes it so much harder for change to take place because people that are opposed to that change will say, oh, well, 
you know, this community can't figure out what it wants. Does it want audio description or does it not? Do they want um, accessible currency? Do they not? Do they want accessible platform edges, you know, in train stations? Do they want audible pedestrian signals or not? I think as as blind folks, we've got to present a much more united um, presentation than we do now. And we've got to learn to work together. And also, you know, there's a lot of unaffiliated um, blind folks because truly I, I believe a lot more people are refusing to join consumer organizations, particularly in Gen Z and millennials, because they just don't feel as if they are represented. Um, and I think when you look at the GLBTQ plus movement, so many of the, str- the strides that were made were made because all of those folks were in concert and they worked together to stand behind, you know, g- getting rid of the, um, uh, I'm sorry, getting rid of the um, military um, don't ask, don't tell policy. Oh, yep. um, you know, they worked together. I think it, when it came to same sex civil unions and then same sex marriage, there was so much collaboration. I think where the GLBTQ plus community has fallen apart and where progress has been stunted are times when the community has not worked together. For instance, the whole uh, Michigan Women's Festival, which ran for many, many years, fell apart when the trans community wanted to um, be involved and and have their, their place. And instead of allowing that to be the case and, and, you know, creating a dialogue, um, the festival organizers decided they were simply going to cancel that, that that's the kind of failure that really stunts growth and it stunts change. The other thing I want to point out, because I, I so agree with what Debbie said about using anger as fuel. I do want to recognize that for all of us, we have days when we are so tired. We are so tired because we have been refused a lift ride for the third time in a row because we have guide dogs. We're tired because paratransit has made us two hours late to an appointment. We're yep. tired because we've walked into a restaurant with a guide dog and we've had a really long flight and the uh, server doesn't want us to sit down because we have a guide dog. Those are all things that just, there's such a cognitive load. Sometimes the server would rather talk to our sighted counterparts and pretend like we're children and we can't make decisions or order for ourselves. But go ahead. Yeah. I I mean, all of those things put together. I mean, the, the cognitive load is really heavy and quite frankly, I think post COVID it's gotten, it's gotten heavier. Um, COVID really made it clear how much more <laughs> advocacy we need to we need to put into the effort of reaching equity. Because if you think about it, so many things happen. Curbside pickup, um, you know, you needed to be able to drive to do those things. You had a vet appointment for your dog. You couldn't go into the veterinarian's office anymore because of, of COVID and, and social distancing. Um, people had such difficulty at the beginning getting groceries who didn't know how to use Instacart. 
um, and, and DoorDash and things like that. So it is tiring. It's really tiring. And so I say to people like on those days when you just feel like you cannot deal with it one moment more and you're going to burst into tears, just take a moment and think, okay, I need to file one more complaint. I need to stand up and argue that my guide dog belongs here and not just start screaming at a server. I need to really bring the pertinent points of why it is illegal to deny my guide dog. And as hard as that may be sometimes, it's what we have to do in order to make those changes. And we all have to be on the same page um, together about that kind of cooperation. And then, you know, we can, we can vent to each other about what an awful day we had sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> but in those and moments, we have many, many community calls that we can do that on together. I'm sure. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I'm going to, I'm going to put a cap on this question for a moment. One more question before <laughs> we open it up to everybody who is here so patiently waiting, I think, to share their thoughts. Um, but I'm going to cap this with, if you are interested in what we're talking about right now, please go to Making Gay History and go to the Stonewall Uprising um, episode. If you don't listen to any other episode, I absolutely implore you to please listen to that one because this topic that we're discussing right now is very much highlighted in that because the transgender community, the drag queen community who are not transgender by, and everybody should know that, the lesbian community, the gay community, the bears, the twinks, there's so many different sub-communities. They had to come together and they had to decide that there are certain things that we've been fighting for for a long time that matter to our subsector, And we're going to continue to fight for them, but we're going we're gonna to fight for them a little bit less loudly than we're going to fight for jobs, equal representation, laws being overturned that say you cannot, you couldn't be served in the 1950s and early 60s. You couldn't even be served in a restaurant or a bar if you identified and made it known that you are lesbian or gay. So they came together after Stonewall and it wasn't, it was violent. It was a horrific thing that happened. It was a horrific thing to cart those people into the streets, beat them and then arrest them. But it was more that they finally understood unless we take the most important pieces of what we need to advocate for and get those done first, none of the other things are going to happen. So we have one more question that we're going to talk about tonight. And, and uh, please, I really hope get the, start getting those hands up because we want to hear from everybody who's here with us tonight. And if you're on ACB media, listening to us, find that link and please join us. Um, Eric talks a lot about something that I absolutely love, good trouble and good troublemakers. So I'm going to go back to Debbie again. Debbie, what is good trouble and good troublemaking in your view? I think good trouble is when you know, when you know that something you are wanting and advocating for is right, not only for yourself, but for others. And when you know that it, that it meets the definition of a civil right, which in large measure is equality of opportunity. And when you think about the people in the communities that we are highlighting tonight, how long 
they were denied equality of opportunity. And what that brings, because you know what? In the blindness community, as well as in, in our community of this evening, all races, all socioeconomic um, as, you know, degrees. Levels, yes. Levels, thank you. We're all in this together. So what we have to think of is, Am I, is what I am doing and what I am wanting to do and what I'm wanting to join just, if we get what we want, what is that going to mean for our generation and the generations to come? And sometimes you have no other choice but to make a lot of noise, but you have to be clear in your mind about the end. It's not about, I hate so-and-so, and so so I'm going to do this, this person. It's about, I have to make this known. I have to join with the group who is wanting to make this known, whatever in the world that might happen to be. Um, Just a few weeks ago, I filed a complaint with the Department of Justice because I was denied twice in a row to get a ride because I had a guide dog. And the second driver that came was abusive and he was a bit frightening. And I'm going to tell you, I wrote a good complaint. I submitted it in the proper way. I got back at the receipt from the Department of Justice. Now, I'm going to tell you this because it involves all of us and it's the right thing. Do you know how long we as guide dog handlers have had right to the public arena, access to the public arena. And the Department of Justice would not take my case. And so, and the other thing I wanna point out is we're going backwards because when I tried to register my complaint with Uber itself, I could not get to the drivers that had canceled on me. And I called and I spoke with someone. So I say this, not to, to say anything specifically about me, but what I'm going to say is it seems that the fight never ends. People like the lovely pioneers that gave so much that we have spoken of tonight and others in the blindness community and other, other people in the civil rights arena, they have, as, as Leah so aptly put it, built the bridge. But we have to keep maintaining the bridge because the minute we let up. And so that is what I would say. So make good trouble. What what is it that you're doing? What do you want to achieve? And remember, you have to we have to guard what we have. And sometimes that means making good trouble. Before Leah speaks, you know what? There's a perfect example in the LGBTQ advocacy right now. The bill is going to President Biden's desk, the Respect for Marriage Act, and that encompasses LGBTQ marriages and interracial marriages. And at the same time, the Supreme Court is looking at a website designer who's never actually worked as a wedding website designer, but who wants to make sure that When she opens her business, the state of Colorado can't force her to provide website services to LGBTQ couples. So with every win comes another challenge. Go ahead, Leah. Well, I I think 
I, I agree so much with what uh, Debbie said. I think um, when you look at good trouble, you have to remember that if you start any kind of process, you, you have to be prepared that it may take years Yep. for that process to come to a resolution. When you think about all the stories um, in the last episode of this series that Eric Marcus presented, so many of those people, I mean, they spent over a decade fighting for a particular outcome or particular cause. And, you know, they, they lost, they sacrificed as a result of it. It's not you cannot go into it thinking it's going to be simple, that it's going to be uncomplicated, that it's going to be easy. You can't go into it thinking that you are not going to encounter lots of friction. You can't go into it thinking that you're not going to lose friendships, that, that you're not going to have potential fragmentation in your family. It is not an easy it's not an easy process when someone makes that decision that they're going to cause good trouble. Um, it's easier sometimes, you know, when it becomes a class action type of situation and you have a community that, that is along with you, but so much change has been caused by one person yes. who couldn't place an, who couldn't place an order due to screen reader inaccessibility on Domino's app app on their, um, you know, on their mobile or web app. Um, it's who would have thought that that would have actually gotten as far as potentially going to the U S Supreme court. Um, who would have thought that the initial, um, complaints to target in the early two thousands would become a, a just benchmark, um, accessibility, decision in terms of website um, access for people with, with visual impairments. But all of those took many, many years um, to realize. And there's going to be pain involved, and there's going to be lots of tears probably, and there's going to be fatigue. I think so many of those people you know, in, in that last episode, they were just average people going about their daily lives. You know, two women having, wanting to ha enjoy a romantic dinner together. Um, two librarians wanting to present a list of GLBTQ plus books. And ultimately society's pushback turned them into people that, that changed reality, that changed precedent. Um, and I think that's the other piece I would add to this is good trouble also equals a lot of work and a lot of sacrifice and potentially a lot of pain until you realize the, the hopeful outcome progress is not made without lots of, <laughs> lots of, yeah, I mean, lots of challenge and, and, uh, it's it, it takes so much strength. None of those people I set out to be heroes, but they saw the process through. Yeah, you know, it takes courage. It takes heart. It takes conviction. It takes perseverance. 
because as Leah and Debbie both said, things unfortunately do not happen overnight. People were fighting for the right to recognize partnership, to recognize marriage between folks that loved each other that weren't a man and a woman. And it took years. It took perseverance. And I will admit it, when I was a young youngin, I thought to myself, what does it matter? They don't like us. They don't care about us. So why do I need that piece of paper? But as I kind of grew in the movement and grew in the world, I realized, no, it does matter. It's not the piece of paper that I need. I need the respect that comes from that, from the community at large. But you guys have heard me talk a lot. You've heard the rest of us talk a lot. So Sheila, let's start taking some of our audience. And Herbie, if there's anyone on stage, let us know, okay? Cool. You may unmute. I'll remind you, you might have to hit that got it button. We are recording this. You may be looking at me with my phone number. No, honey, I I got you, Roger. Um, No, it's Jewel. And I know there you go. Sorry. Uh, (laughs) I didn't hear my name. Hi, I'm Jewel. I live in Kentucky. I am pan and proud. And um, you go, girl. Thanks. Um, my girlfriend and I have been dating about four months, and she happens to be a trans woman. Um, and so I'm curious because I've never heard of BPI. How does one get involved? Um, I'm kind of involved with the local LGBTQ plus community, but I've never heard of BPI. So I'm curious about that. All right, um, Leah, and- take it away, honey. <laughs> well, I'm I, I'm glad you you came to the right place. Um, if you want to get involved, you can always email us at membership at blindlgbtpride.org. There's no dashes, no hyphens in there. It's just blindlgbtpride.org. We also have a website, um, blindlgbtpride.org. And uh, you can, on our website, you can find out how to join the organization. You can join our affiliate. Um, if you email the membership at blindlgbtpride.org email address, uh, one of us will get back to you and we can give you some more pertinent information. I'm in a meeting right now. All right. Thank you, Jewel. Um, Sheila, Herbie, real quick, Herbie, do we have anyone on stage? All right. I'm going to take that as a no. Herbie will let us know if we do. Sheila, who's up next? Um, Philip. You'll you be back for the rest, right? You'll come back for the rest. For the rest of what? Philip? Madison. You took all of it. Oh. That was the last one. All mm-hmm. right. We're hearing some background conversation. Yeah, that's, if that's, you are not that happens ready to, to be speak. Anthony, that happens to be Philip. Oh, hey, Philip. We're we're very interested in your comments. Thank you. Good Uh oh. Philip? All right, Sheila, let's go to the next hand and we'll go back. Yeah, we're going to go to Roger. (laughs) I am unmuted. Yes, Uh, you are, sir. Okay. uh, 
Well, I don't know how many how many of the things I want to say I can say here because of the time. But um, uh, first thing I want to say uh, to to um, to the organization uh, is that you guys have done a, a lot for yourselves in terms of being accepted within ACB by participating in ACB. A lot of times when a new uh, affiliate with a new cause comes into ACB, they just kind of have their own meetings and talk about their own cause and we never see them. But you guys have, have uh, uh, you know, taken responsibilities in ACB that don't specifically have to do with your cause. And I think that's really good. And it's, Thank you. And it's, and it's helped you to to gain respect and and all and and allies uh, in the organization. Now that leads to the thing about the differentiation among the groups. I, uh, you know, I I got uh, I got my whole chapter thrown out of NFB uh, because at the convention they had a they put out or the administration put out a resolution saying that no NFB group could join a coalition of, of you know other disabled people or whatever. Now, um, and I was as the DC delegate, I was the only no vote on that resolution. Um, and then I was also discussed. I was talked talked to by Mr. Jernigan, the president. And uh, he told me uh, that another thing that I had done wrong was that at a local convention, I had a panel where we discussed different forms of discrimination against different groups and so forth. And I had several people on this panel with, you know, who related to different causes, including a, uh, a gay activist. And Mr. Jernigan said, there's no room for that in our organization. It will give our, give our opponents ammunition. Um, and so it, it seems to me that those things are related. That is, um, disability has its, has all of its bits and pieces and, and things and not things and so forth, just as, uh, the, uh, all the panoply of sexual things. Um, and so, you know, you, you, you have people fussing about what other people are for. I just saw on the list within the past few days somebody who's trying to organize a group for only totally blind people. Yeah. And that's wrong. I'm a totally blind person, but that's wrong. <laughs> and, uh, and I won't support it, and I will try to see that it doesn't happen. It wasn't even suggested that it be inside ACB. It's going to be in a separate group because those other people don't like us, you know. Uh, and so, but I think that things are happening in, in, to some degree, at least, for the good because um, I've noticed there are a couple of bills that have come out lately about uh, um, accessible uh, websites and accessible mobile, mobile things and so on. And I've noticed that the Federation has been on, uh, has, has signed on. 
And um, so I think there's I think there's a there's you know going to be some some good stuff happen, and uh, we, we need to be patient. And uh, I I also wanted to say that also that uh, as blind people sometimes it's a little different difficult to to deal with the uh, with the people of different sexual persuasions because somehow it seems as though one of their their voice is one of their the things they can't can't change very well. And so you get this, <laughs> somebody said, mine told me, he said yes, sir, to somebody. And the person said, don't call me sir, my name is Barbara. You know, and, and so, you know, and he felt that, you know, he just didn't, there was no way he could tell. Well, anyway, uh, we just have to keep talking and keep doing and, and keep putting forth complaints and, uh, and keep talking to each other and understanding each other and, that's where, you know, oh, one other thing I wanted to mention, I was in D.C. back in the day when D.C. Uh, got a, got a uh, an equal rights, you know, a public accommodations. And that was happened to be for, for gay people and disabled people. And yeah. it's my recollection from that time that the, that the gay folks uh, carried us on their shoulders, that they did a lot more to get that passed than... Mm-hmm. Than the disabled community did. Roger, I have to say thank you so much mm-hmm. for bringing up that because I was I, I was hoping that we'd get there somehow, and and that's exactly it. You know, the one thing that the LGBTQ plus community has always succeeded at is taking hands, partnering with, understanding that we can't do this alone. You know, in the '60s, the civil rights movement. You know, at first, the movement didn't want the LGBTQ community until certain things happened. And please go to Making Gay History and listen to certain podcasts because you'll understand exactly what that is, especially, um, oh, God, Debbie, give me uh, the man who um, lost his army certification and and was dishonorably discharged. Um, And and a man that you're going to. Thank you. And the man and that I'm, we are going to talk about some yep. because he, he Baird. goes over the, his name is Bayard Rustin. And I've got to tell you, I am embarrassed oh, yes. to say that I hadn't heard of him before. But as soon as I heard of him, I went running to my friend Anthony and I said, we've got to include him somehow because he goes across the bridge to both the, the civil rights movement of, of the African-American slash black community and the community and our gay a lesbian, all those things that I'm now too tired to remember. Leah, I'm going to get it right one of these days, sweetie. Um, but all these wonderful people were just, you know, that we that we embrace. So you know, um, I I don't. You guys know who remember um, the uh, the guy? Oh no, I'm I'm going to I'm going my my uh, my uh, memory thing is going to kick in. Anyway, um, the guy who, who ran CORE um, uh, was, uh, and I can't say his name right now, but anyway, I was a, I was a, uh, I was a uh, founding member of the CORE chapter in Eugene, Oregon in 1962, I think it was, when I was an undergraduate. And 
I'm, I'm very glad that before he died, I was able to, James Farmer is his name, uh, before he died, he became blind and had a guide dog. And unfortunately, he died fairly soon. He was diabetic, and I think he died. But anyway, I was—I got to meet him at a convention, and I said, I told him that I was that I had been a founding member of the Eugene, Oregon chapter of of uh, CORE, wow. and I said, "Welcome, welcome to my minority." Uh, uh, you know, I just—I think we just we we. Keep, well, sir, I, w- I want to thank you because you're a strong ally to all of us that have a cause, period. You see an injustice, you identify an injustice, and you speak your mind on that injustice. And just going back to for a second to the whole, you know, linking hands and understanding that we can't do this alone. Um, Gabriel and I embarked on a, a very ambitious project to make paratransit here in Miami. It is absolutely horrific. I've experienced paratransit around the country and Miami-Dade is one of the worst that there is in the country. However, partially a part of the reason that it is that way is because the communities are fractured. The wheelchair community doesn't want to work with the blind community. The deaf community doesn't want to work with the wheelchair community and so on and so on and so on and so on. And until we all came together and, and got our common goals, nothing happened. But within the last year, we have made amazing strides. So thank you, Roger, so much. Sheila, who's up next? The paratransit is good enough for us, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the scraps that they throw at us, we should be thankful for. But yeah, that's another conversation for Ron Brooks and his team. <laughs> Sheila, who's up next? All right, you got a phone number, 774, ending in 866. Please identify yourself and unmute. Star six will unmute. No, yeah, star not is star six will unmute you. Hi. Hi, yes. Hi Elizabeth. I've never actually been on the phone to so I'm having a little trouble figuring out the buttons. But it's okay. And yes. could you please tell I'm us Elizabeth. who you are? I'm Elizabeth. I'm from Massachusetts. Okay, I know Elizabeth of, Anthony. Um, Anthony and Leah and Bryn. Um, yeah. Um, um, I'm totally agreeing with everything everyone's been saying um, in terms of, you know, what is good trouble and making good trouble. I think the trouble is when you see something that's wrong and you go to fix it. And people don't like that, so then it becomes trouble for them, but it's <laughs> really what's supposed to happen anyway. I, I'm, I'm having a hard time hearing you. Um... Is there a oh, question or a... You, Is that better? Leah, are you hearing her better than I am? No, actually, she just changed her. Go ahead, Elizabeth. All right, we'll go back to her as All well. All right, we'll um, go back to her as well. Um, Elizabeth, are you there? Yes. No, that's not any better. So no, I'm I'm hearing a delay. Yeah, and, and I'm oh. yeah. 
I'm sorry, Elizabeth. Please send us an email. Oh, wait, there we go. Go ahead. Oh, that's weird. Okay, got it. That's okay. I'll do it this way then. I can hear much better. Yeah. (laughs) Nice. Good. Um, Yeah, as I was saying earlier, I I know um, Anthony and um, Leah and Bryn. Um, I really like what everyone's been saying. Um, And I totally agree about um, that we all need to work together and um, it does help when we all have a common goal if we all um, kind of um, merge around that goal. But as far as, you know, saying what is good trouble and good troublemaking, I think the trouble is just, if you see something that you know is wrong and you work to fix it, it's kind of like the obvious thing to do in a lot of cases, but it, people don't like when you do it because it disrupts their norm, but yeah. it had to be done to make things better for other people, then that's fine. You know, Elizabeth, I I, I actually, that's a good point for me to kind of jump in here. And Leah, Debbie, if you have comments on this too, please feel free. I I think, you know, we've seen riots, we've seen looting, we've seen things that happen that are trouble that doesn't necessarily translate into good trouble. I think, you know, there's there's a phrase out there that's widely used, if you see something, say something. And I, I completely and utterly believe in that from a, you know, a system standpoint, whether it be paratransit or um, subway systems, et cetera, et cetera. But also in your own community, if you see a child that has some deficiency, some lacking, if you see something, say something. But there comes a point where if you see something you might have to get a little bit loud about it. You mm-hmm. might have to disrupt a little bit. You might have to stand at a subway station that doesn't have truncated tr- domes, that doesn't have any um, you know, designation for those of us that are disabled. You might have to have a protest there during rush hour, and you might have to disrupt the service a little bit to get the attention. That's what good trouble is. Not hurting anyone else, but causing enough of a... Um, stir so that people notice. If you go at three o'clock in the morning, no one's going to notice you. You're not going to get any movement. You have to go at 6 p.m. when everybody wants to get home, get to dinner, get to their kids and make a ruckus. That's that's one definition of what good trouble is. Leah, Debbie, any any comments on that? Yeah, I, I agree. But I think I think, again, it, it comes back to when you're going to cause that kind of good trouble. You, you need to think about and be prepared for the kind of disruption. You need to be prepared for yeah. people yelling at you, um, for people sending you hate mail, potentially. Um, I mean, when you think about people that have testified before Congress and been like whistleblowers and things like that, I mean, think about how much hate they get thrown at them. Yes, um, I mean, that is, to me, that is, that is strength and... Um, a lot of people just say, oh, well, you know, society will never change. It is what it is. Um, I grew up in a world where a lot of people said that, (laughs) but you know, you get to a point where if you're going to spur change, like I said, um, before it's not, it's not simple. It's a process and you, you've got to get comfortable with the discomfort of, of trying to go about it. And like you said, it is easier, um. And the other thing, the other thing, I I agree with everything Leah said, when we cause good trouble, we have to make sure 
that how we cause it, for example, if we loot and burn mm-hmm. and destroy and, you know, wipe out, wipe out people's businesses or whatever, no matter what our cause is, does that enhance how we are seen with the public? Or does it in large measure say, yeah, that's just what we thought of them in the first place. So again, it comes right back to how are you going to use your anger? There's no way to deny that people who have been summarily excluded and discriminated against and treated like second-class citizens, all of us have good reason to be angry. But we have to use that anger by making trouble in a way that people will see us and know us and say, yeah, they're, they're trying to be heard, but they're not going to steal and loot and burn. And so I, and I just use that as an example. Anything that we do to make ourselves heard and to make ourselves seen has to be just that. And we can't do things that in people who want to have their ignorance and their prejudice and their hatred validated, we got to make certain we don't do things that make them do that because so many people want to be validated in their behavior, in their anger, in the way they see things. And so what we do cannot do that. We have to shake their world and say, these are people too. They have two legs and two arms and they look like us. And you know what? They want the same things that we have. Equality of opportunity, equality to belong, to work, to live as they like, to love and live with whomever they want. They want what we want. And so we have to make trouble that makes us appear human, but yet enough radical enough and noisy enough, we can't take this anymore. And I think that's real important when we consider how to make ourselves heard and what is the difference between good trouble and bad trouble. Absolutely. You have got some more hands, honey. So just letting you know, we've got 20 minutes left. Thank you. You know, just to put a cap on this point in 2000, I believe it was 2008, but if somebody wants to spank me and tell me it was another year, I'll accept that. Um, We were right in the thick of trying to get support for the right for marriage equality. And there was a high profile wedding going on during Pride um, in New York City, Tavern on the Green, which is in Central Park, et cetera, et cetera. It was a celebrity wedding. And there was a lot of noise. Let's go protest this. Let's go make a big noise because we're going to get all the media that we can get. And I was one of the folks that said, no, absolutely not. You're not going to steal from these two people for Mm -hmm. our cause. We can go right down the parade route. We can go stand on the pier, et cetera, et cetera. We're not going to steal from these two people who deserve their moment of happiness because what we want, is that more important than their lifelong commitment to each other? Is it more important? And, you know, better heads prevailed and we decided not to do that. And ultimately speaking, as I said earlier in this call, multiple times, it's going to Biden's desk. So, you know, sometimes good trouble as Leah pointed out, sometimes good trouble takes a long time to actually see results, but you have to be willing to stay in the fight. All right, Sheila, who's next? There's somebody with an iPhone that have your, you have your hand raised. Please identify yourself. 
and it's under. Are you the, talking to Rob? I, I Rob think, Hill, I think welcome, so. Rob. Howdy, y'all. Uh, welcome. Very, I'm so glad you're here. Session. So, pardon me. I'm so glad you're here. Go ahead. Thank you, for Rob. Is our founding father? Yes, absolutely. Our first president. Did you say Rob? Yes, Rob Hill. Okay, yes. I did. I did. Thank yes. you. Oh, there, there, there I am. Okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I had an interesting experience a few years ago with a friend of mine who's a Quaker, actually. We're both members of an organization called Soul Force, which is fights against religious bigotry in the homosexual realm. The founder was, was a speechwriter for Jerry Falwell, if you can imagine that. Lord, I'm anyway, Wow. We, uh, we took uh, opportunities to stand in visual across the street from a church in a suburb of Oklahoma City, not far from Tulsa, on Sunday morning during their worship service. Just uh, 12 to 20 of us standing in front just as gay people. Their, uh, their pastor was pretty anti-gay. And uh, one Sunday, my friend Don and I went into the worship service uh, on a non-vigil day, and we listened to the sermon, and this pastor started on a rant about gays, going up the usual clobber passages and all that. My friend Don's a Quaker, and Quakers are kind of mild-mannered, you think. <laughs> Don stood yeah. up and he shook his fist. He said, this is not right. And we were, there were two big guys who immediately came to our queue and marched us out of there. Well, that was not a very good experience, although it might have been. We went to visit this pastor when he moved to another congregation near Tulsa and sat in on his service. He had changed totally. He suddenly was accepting and warm toward everybody, including gays. It was, it was astounding. And it, it's just what country, confrontation and persistence can do. And it was very striking for me to know the value of, of uh, the way we operate to make changes. That's all. Thank you. <laughs> and you know, sure. no, don't go away yet, Rob, because okay. I uh, think... <laughs> I think you're the perfect example of good trouble because it's no <laughs> secret when B flag um, and it's like Leah said, it didn't have a name in those first couple of meetings. You know, there were plenty of ACB individuals and maybe some affiliates who threatened to pull out, et cetera, et cetera. Oh, but yeah. you mm. never once called anyone a bigot. You never once, you never once called anyone a name. You no. tried to show them what, loving and life was like from multiple mm. perspectives, but you never made and tried to demean anyone for their point of view. And that's a great definition of good trouble. I hadn't thought yeah. about that. Yeah. yeah. That, 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 that's acceptance. It goes both ways. Yeah. I mean, the, the process of, of getting the charter was not based on fury and ranting and, <laughs> No, <laughs> you no. know, and, but there and was a lot of that that friction. happened from what of I course. hear. Yeah. But, but I'm just saying that 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 process was based on trying to move forward as a community and be respected um, mm -hmm. and to go about it in a way that was um, showed our humanity and 
um, not a way that was full of name calling and right. and um, animosity. And, mm-hmm. and honestly, I think that's why our charter was approved as quickly as it was, because it was approved on the first attempt. So right. we, we kind of edged ourselves into ACB, actually. Yeah. Gently, slowly. Our first get together is, I don't know, were you, were you in Tulsa for that very first session? Yeah, I don't think you were. Nope. No, no, I wasn't there yeah. until 1999. Yeah. No. Yeah. Um, but we, we weren't an affiliate, so we could have an official meeting, I guess. But I asked that there be a, a room set aside for us to get together. Those who might be interested in a gay blind organization, they gave us a room way back in the Netherlands, but it was announced in the convention newspaper and all that. So there were some people who came to it, and that was our start. We had events at the next several conventions culminating in our convention in Los Angeles. Then we formalized our constitution and formalized ourselves as a membership organization. And I submitted the paperwork for um, affiliation. And and actually, uh, I don't say this out very loud because it sounds arrogant, but under the ACB constitution, they really could not have turned us down. We satisfied all the requirements. If they had turned this down, it would have been a heck to pay uh, from the membership and a lot of other people. We, we, we couldn't be turned down. So, but but that, that doesn't mean you're going arrogantly and say, here we are, you got you to take us. You still edge your way in. And um, yeah. we took it very general, making sure each of our meetings in the last, next several years were Definitely focus on blindness as well as like sexual orientation. Make sure they know that we were interested in blindness as well as the other. That was a we kind of and I think we uh, edged, we edged ourselves into the water. I'm sorry. I, I was going to say I think Leah and Gabriel, when they ascended to president and vice president, they really brought that focus back. Uh-huh. to BPI that yes we are an LGBTQ plus organization but we are also a blindness organization and we have to find that intersectionality and celebrate mm-hmm. and, and promote that intersectionality mm-hmm. yep mm-hmm. Rob you are you. I, I really hope Eric Marcus interviews you someday soon you are truly a pillar in, in our movement thank you so much thank you for so being much. our founded father and thank you for being here tonight and I love pleasure. you, but Sheila, who's next? <laughs> Bella. Well, it would help, wouldn't it, if I turned on my microphone? Yeah. <laughs> there you go, Philip. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I had to throw that in at least once tonight. Go ahead. Well, that's very sweet of you. And point of order, I have no wish to spank you, Anthony. <laughs> oh, too bad. All right, go on. Um. Oh, well, that's interesting. Um. <laughs> I... um. Imagine that I've been a fighter all my life um, and been involved in different disability actions and things. Well, I've got to the point now where I'm getting older and I would like to stay one of the young old. And I have different needs for affection, for acceptance. And the 
thing I have worked on, it's because we all have to do the work. If we wish to do the work, we have to do it. I admire the ginger in all of you. I hear the ginger in Ms. Gardner and Ms. Grubb, and I hear it. You're not afraid to get scrapes on your arms. No. But I'm, I got a different skin. I'm very psychological. I've evolved that way. And making good trouble is through diplomacy and charm offensives. And I've just done a video a few weeks ago about blindness etiquette and how, you, how people need to learn not to speak through us. And it was, uh, I loved it because there's no attitude in it, at least I hope there isn't, but there's a lot of laughter and a lot of uh, things that, information that people could take just because they enjoyed the video and it, they didn't feel hurt by anything. It, it, I have health issues and, I, and it's, it gets harder. And um, I'm also concerned about not being in B flag because uh, I did send some money when I, jo when I joined ACB deliberately to B flag. So I don't know what, how this works, but I uh, also wanted to say to all of you that um, the years have gone by and things change. And uh, I love the fact that we blind people have memories like elephants, but I also like the fact that we know that things change and that stories change. So I, I would like to have a chat with some of you or one of you or two of you to get my bearings again. And that's what I wanted to say. And I really appreciate your listening to me. Thank you so much. So Leah gave it out before, but I'll give it out again. Membership at blindlgbtpride.org. Please send us an email and we'll set up a call. Leah and I are president and vice president, yep. respectively. Membership. We'll set up a call. We'd love to hear from you. And we'd love to count you as an ally. Membership at blindlgbtpride.org. Pride. Yep. I will do that. And in the worst case scenario, I don't want to give Cindy and her crew any other work, but you can always send a message to community at acb.org and they'll forward it to us. <laughs> <laughs> Sheila, who's next? And thank you so much for speaking up. We really, really appreciate you being here. Sheila, who's next? Jewel? Jewel? Hi, you may... hi again. There you go. So um, it's funny you mentioned spanking, Anthony, because I'm going to be the change I want to see and bring up a topic that a lot of people don't want brought up. Um, there is a subsection of the LGBTQ plus community that is often ostracized and told we don't want you. And that is the leather and pink community. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, often they go to pride parades and are told, hey, we don't want you here. You, you're, you're, we're ashamed of you. We don't think you belong here. Um, and the, the fact is the leather community was started in the gay community. Mm -hmm. um, so it is 100% part of the pride community. 
Um, and I just, I just thought I'd bring that topic up because I want to be the change that, you know, be the change I want to see in the world. And this is a topic that so many people just shove under the rug and say, hey, we don't care. So All right. Try, try to answer this possibility. Uh, <laughs> Absolutely. I'm going to yep. answer this by saying um, every single convention, we have an event that's called Dare to Share. And that is an open space. It's an adult only content um, open forum for anyone, anywhere, anything, you know, and we all vow at the beginning of our Dare to Share that no matter what our personal prejudices might be, and even those of us in the LGBTQ community, we come to our, our group meetings with a little bit of prejudices. We can't help it. Where we're raised, how we're raised, were, were we Christian fundamentalists? Were we Catholic? Were we whatever? It doesn't matter. We, everybody comes with a prejudice. We vow to leave that at the door. So that's one place that's a safe space. Um, when we have our public outgoing conversations like this, we're not really looking to perpetuate the subsectors of the community. We're not looking to perpetuate the fetishes of the community, but we will never ever turn away a subsector or a fetish of the community. Every single person that is a part of BPI, ally, gay, lesbian, transgender, binary, fluid, you're part of the family and there's a place for you. There's a conversation for you somewhere here. So please join us, become part of it. But we do know that in the public space, in the public facing space, when we're advocating, when we're sending letters to our congressmen and our senators, and we're fighting against the anti-gay bills and, you know, that, we don't necessarily want to put a picture of, you know, a cub and, and a master on, you know, on our outgoing communication, but we accept everyone and our allies. I have to say this again, our allies are one of our strongest component and our allies are very, very accepting of all the flavors of our community. Lee, is there anything you want to add to that? Anthony, you've got five minutes. All right. Leah. No, I think, I mean, I, I think it sums it up, although I do, I do want to make sure that we, um, in our organization, definitely give voice to um, everybody. And so I think, Jewel, if this is a topic that you want to expound on more, I don't know mm -hmm. if you know this, but we have a um, podcast that right now yeah. airs bi-weekly, and I think it might be a great, um, it's called Pride Connection. I think it would be a great um, podcast proposal for us to to discuss this in a more in-depth way. That'd be awesome. All yeah, right. I know a couple of Great. people who might want to. Okay. All Wonderful. right. So membership blind lgbtpride.org. Let's take one more hand, Sheila. And I just want to say a quick thank you to Herbie and Sheila for being our behind the mm -hmm. scenes hosts. Who's who's up next? You don't have anybody in Zoom. Ooh. All right. Then I have to go by, you know, by the way this all happened. Leah, final thoughts, and then we'll turn it over to Debbie for her final thoughts. You know, I just want to make one more point um, about good trouble and all the change it has created. I was watching TV uh, the other day, and all of the news about Brittany Griner had broken. 
Yeah. And the um, in the White House, in the Oval Office, Joe Biden made his speech about the prisoner exchange. And then Brittany Griner's wife um, spoke. Sheree. And I and yep. I yeah, Sherelle. And and I thought to myself, you know, 20 years ago, never, ever, ever would you have seen. Yep. Would you have seen a same sex um, partner? Because at the time you know, marriage was not a possibility. You never would have seen a same-sex partner treated with such respect and such dignity. And this is how far good trouble um, has, has brought our community. Leah, you do have a hand. And All right, let's take that real quick and then we'll give Debbie a, a, the closing, the closing yeah, thoughts. Um, 941 ending, 615 area code. Hi, this is Carol, and I just want to thank you guys, because at the 2000 convention that I was there, I think a lot of us straight folks, just out of ignorance, didn't realize how big the problem is, and I thank you for um, educating us. We do have a lot in common. Um, I've been discriminated against in restaurants as part of two blind couples at the restaurant just said, we can't serve you, we won't read the menu to you, etc. back in the 70s. Um, I know blind wow. people have been refused uh, to adopt children, uh, yep. which is also an episode that that the, your community has. So, yeah, I think we have to make good trouble together. I'm glad you guys have educated us because it wasn't out of prejudice or just out of ignorance that I didn't know the need was there just as people in the civil rights movement had told me in the 70s we just thought everybody was nice to people with disabilities and we didn't know you guys had civil rights problems and so the parallels are just everywhere so thank you very much thank you thank you Carol thank you um Debbie some closing thoughts just want to say real real quickly we all revel in the beautiful colors of the rainbow, which in my mind exemplify and paint diversity. But beneath that fount, beneath that beauty and recognition of diversity is the fact of our common humanity. And we need whatever trouble we cause, good trouble. We need to remember our common humanity and yet be cognizant and care about mm and recognize our beauty and our diversity. And thank you all for doing this. BPI, thank you for doing this. It's, it's a great honor that you took this idea. It meant so much to me, still does. Thank you from my heart. Thank you so much. If you'd like to listen to the Eric Marcus episode of Pride Connection or any of our amazing We've talked about pronoun usage. We've talked about parenting as a blind person. We've talked about so many issues that are relevant to both the blindness and low vision community and the LGBTQ community. Sometimes they intersect and sometimes it's community specific, but Pride Connection is an amazing podcast. Please go to acbmedia.org, click podcast and click, and click Pride Connection. I wanted to thank Leah and Debbie so much Herbie and um, Sheila for being our back end. And congratulations, Leah. I am so honored to serve as your vice president. This is going to be an amazing two years of of BPI. Could you repeat the address one more time? It's blind. So if you want to reach out to us, it's membership at blind LGBT. 
pride.org. If you want to listen to the Pride Connection podcast, go to acbmedia.org, click on podcasts, scroll down. There's a whole bunch of ACB podcasts. Then you'll see Sunday edition. That's my podcast. If you want to check that out, it's cool. But scroll down a couple more and you'll click Pride Connection. We have almost three years of amazing content. Just look at the, the show notes and pick a couple and you'll be blown away. We have some great content out there. Thank you so much for being here tonight. Harvey, Sheila, thank you so much. Have a good night.